So, what I've been noticing is that anywhere I go and everyone I meet, no matter what uh, social, economic category people are from, everyone has some complaint. Have you noticed that? <laughs> In the great search for finding out where comfort, happiness comes from, it's an interesting phenomenon to note, and that is that, generally speaking, uh, people feel uncomfortable in the world, and that there doesn't seem to be a material arrangement that will ameliorate that situation. There is a phenomena in which we find that when someone becomes frustrated with the complexities of life and is basically has an awareness that I've tried everything and I don't feel complete, then such a person might look for answers on a spiritual level. At least there's a inclination when people are afraid or they're in danger that they'll call out to the to the Supreme, even if they don't know what the Supreme is, even if they don't, haven't studied anything that talks about the various categories of energy, that there's the Supreme Lord and there's various energies in the world. It's just a natural instinct, isn't it? Uh, maybe the door could be closed because Kumamela. So this is uh, an important reflex and it's especially there in human beings. And those who do develop an awareness that there must be more to life than this, even if they have a modicum of success in the material world, or especially if they do, people might begin to feel that I need something more to actually satisfy me. Does that seem possible? And of course, as I mentioned before, when people are in danger, they tend to call out to the Lord. There's an old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes, and that is that during wartime, when somebody's pinned down on the battlefield, even if they hadn't thought about it previously, when they're faced with being killed, possibly at any moment, then there's a tendency to start thinking about one's relationship with God and asking for, for protection. So this is actually considered to be a, a greatly fortunate situation, that one would have this inclination to call out to God. In fact, we find in the Srimad Bhagavatam, in the story of Gajendra, who's a famous devotee, who's an elephant, which makes it even more charming. 
Prahlad Maharaj remembered him when he was offering prayers to Lord Nishingadev, and he said, Bhaktya Tutosha Bhagavan Gajayutapaya. Prahlad was thinking, how, how do I approach the Supreme? Because Nishingadev had appeared, and no one quite knew what to do. Oftentimes when a great personality shows up, people get a little flustered. What to speak of, of if it's Nishingadev? Even Lakshmiji, his husband, her, her husband, Lakshmi, the, the husband of the goddess of fortune, she became flustered because she didn't recognize her husband when he was that angry. And it assumed a half man, half lion form. I don't know if you've had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> but Prahlad, being pure devotee, was asked by the demigods to pray or to, yes, to appease the Lord through his prayers. In the beginning, he, he noted that others had offered prayers with perfect Sanskrit. So these demigods are in the highest mode of nature, and they, they know how to pray. They know how to compose Sanskrit verses very well, and they've done it. But, but then he noted still the Lord's not satisfied. And then he thought of the animal, the elephant, Gajendra, and he said Gajendra was just sincere when he offered prayers. And bhaktya tutosha, because he had some bhakti, even though it was motivated, that's an interesting point. Gajendra was motivated. I mean, we often tend, as I'm this, in this context, to, to get motivated when we get a crocodile on our leg. Gajendra was an elephant. He was a king of the elephants. He had everything going for him, but when he went into the water to take a bath, he got captured by a crocodile who grabbed onto his leg and wouldn't let go. And there's a point at which he realized that I won't be able to shake him. Often this happens to us in life. There's a kind of optimism that we have to have to move forward through our lives because faith is the glue that holds everything together. Kumamela is moving inside now. <laughs> However, there may be a we may develop an awareness at some point that I'm a lot closer to the edge than I thought. And that's what happened to Gajendra. He was very confident as a strong animal and as the, the king of the, the animals. But then he, he had that glimpse into the fact that he was fallible and that probably the end was near. And that's when he got really sincere and he admitted in his prayers that normally those who are really pure devotees, they don't ask for anything, including help. They just, because they know that Krishna already is aware that he or she needs help. But he said, uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I'm asking, please help me. There's a crocodile on my leg and it won't let go. But Krishna accepted it because there was a, there was a sincerity there within him and he was actually calling out to the Lord. In fact, this is something Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita when he says in the seventh chapter, Chaturvida bhajanti mam janasukatino arjuna arto jignasa artarti jnani cha Four kinds of pious people approach me. And he lauds 
the fact that they approach him, even if it's motivated. Because gradually, even if somebody approaches Krishna with some motivation, the motivation will be purified. Krishna's uh, name is Vidunoti. He knows how to sort things out for us. So the fact is that the sincere prayers of Kajendra are what saved him. That's the essence of bhakti. Now as far as incompleteness goes, the, the Vedic Shastras, and most particularly the Sri Upanishad, gives us a view of why everyone feels incomplete. And it's illuminated in Srila Prabhupada's purport. So the invocation verse from the Sri Upanishad says, Om Purnam Adha Purnamidam Purnat Purnam Udachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vishishite. And this verse gives a, a, a very satisfying description of God because it's saying that he's perfect and complete and that even though so many complete units emanate from him, those units are complete as well. There's a complete arrangement in nature, for example, for everyone's sustenance. And it also goes on to say that even though so many complete units emanate from the complete whole, he remains the complete balance, so he's never depleted. Just hearing that is satisfying, isn't it? And it's something that we yearn for in this world, I would argue, when we look for a complete leader, for example. People are hoping that they'll find somebody that's perfect and complete. It's very rare to find. And we also would like it if for instance, we took money out of our bank account if it would remain the complete balance. <laughs> I think the minute, the minute somebody gives you $7,000 and then you, know, you have to spend two and then in your mind you think, well, the other five's actually already gone because I, you know, I need to spend it. There's a kind of an anxiety there because everything's always uh, being depleted in the material world. So hearing the description of God as being completely perfect and that even though he's emanating so many complete perfect units, he remains the complete balance. Now that's somewhere, somebody upon whom one can meditate and feel satisfied. So one might want to know more about this person. And in his purport, Prabhupada says in one sentence something so momentous that in fact the, the whole concept of taking to spiritual life could be could hinge on this sentence he said all forms of incompleteness are due to incomplete knowledge of the complete whole and this indicates that if we can simply become more aware of the person that's being described in this invocation mantra, Om Purnam Adha Purnaminam, even the language itself is very smooth and beautiful. Om Purnam Adha Purnam Idam Purnat Purnam Udachete. It it flows out like as if coming from a unlimited source. Even the verse itself feels good to meditate upon to hear the sound. And the fact is that 
if I can get more complete knowledge of that complete whole, become more aware of him, then I'll feel complete myself. And this is really why I don't feel complete. Now, many spiritual personalities have pointed out that we are being maintained by the complete whole in, a, in ways that are uh, very much obvious if we just look. For instance, uh, as far as I've heard, Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples that they should take time to observe the birds in the field. And if you take time to, to look, the other day I went down to the ocean with uh, Mukharavind and we were looking out at the sunset and I was watching the birds and I was thinking how amazing it was that they live outside. I mean, we have to go home. First of all, we have to build a house. That takes about a year. And it's got to have everything in it. Plumbing and heating and who knows what else nowadays. But they just live on rocks by the ocean. And there's a complete arrangement for them to eat whatever they need to eat. And they're given a defense system. It's naturally built in. Everything's there. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, after he took sannyas and started wandering with his disciples, asked them, did you bring anything? And they said, no, well, you didn't instruct us to bring anything. And he said, very good, because I want you to observe that the Lord has filled up the whole universe with food and wealth, but everybody can only get whatever the Lord has allotted to them. That comes in the first verse of the Ishapanishad, where it is said, Tena Tyaktena Bunjita, that the Lord has given Bunjita that which we need to enjoy, that we need to sustain ourselves with. Naturally, set it aside. Every, every person, every living entity, he makes an arrangement for. And so Prabhupada points out many times, as did Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, that you can observe how it is that animals are taken care of very naturally by the hand of the Lord then why wouldn't human beings also? So all forms of incompleteness are experienced because of incomplete knowledge of the complete whole. So there are two ways in which I have incomplete knowledge of the complete whole. One of them is that I don't know how the world works. This is confounding because if you don't know how the world works and you just spring onto the scene as all of us have, we just suddenly pop out somewhere and like, where am I? And you know, there's some people there who may be ill-informed about how the wor world works and says, no, let's, one just follow us. <laughs> Even people like parents who are unsuccessful in life, Prabhupada points this out, they may have had a very difficult life and not much to show for it at the end will insist that their children follow in their footsteps. Thanks. And there may be an elaborate school system. As Prahlad Maharaj pointed out when he was going to school, to all his school friends he said, whatever they're teaching you here is really useless knowledge. They're just filling your head with a bunch of uh, ideas about how to 
become more divided and try to develop economically and so forth. And he said, I'll give you a better kind of knowledge. But in general, people from the school systems don't really get much information about how the world works, really. They get some idea, generally nowadays, especially through vocational education, about how to be a better exploiter of the natural resources. It's like, because this becomes the, the emblem of success, that somebody has more money. And then people say, well, how, I'll show you how you can get more money too, by being a better exploiter. And therefore, there's some education about that, but that's not how the world works by exploiting the natural resources and trying to arrange one's personal situation to find some comfort or happiness, that, that doesn't work. There is no situation in this world, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Abrahma bhuvana loka punar avartinojuna, mamupeta tukontia punar janma navidyate. Everyone says, I know Gita. I read Bhagavad Gita. And then when trouble comes, they go like, why is God punishing me? Say, I don't know if you read Bhagavad Gita. Krishna already warned you <laughs> that there's no happiness in the mature world and that you should make plans to go back to the spiritual world. But um, anyway. So, without knowing how the world works, I'm put at a major disadvantage. And Krishna mentions this in the Bhagavad Gita. The way we work in the world is a little bit uh, complicated, and it's important how we work, because there's a reaction when you work in the wrong way. He says, those who see action in inaction, and action in inaction. I mean, that's a little confusing in and of itself. You stop a man on the street, and you say, excuse me, do you know there's action in inaction, and action? They're like, I'm in a hurry. I got to go. It's like, where are you going? <laughs> and what are you doing? You haven't stopped to think about it. But Krishna's, Krishna lays it out, that there is a way to work where there's what he calls inaction, inaction. And that means that I'm working in harmony with the way things are actually set up. Prabhupada gave such commonsensical ways to understand this, and he would talk about how Material nature is arranged in such a way that if you overeat, then you'll suffer. You may think, I'll eat more. But if you try it, then you'll suffer in many different ways. That's pretty simple. Uh, there are um, rules for how to work in the world. And if you learn what they are, if you get a complete knowledge of what the world is meant for in the first place and how the rules work and... Uh, you can work in that way. Then Krishna says, Raga dvesha vimuktaistu vishayan indriyaishcharan atma prasadam There's a way in which if you learn how to properly follow the, the rules that have been uh, chalked out by the Shastra, then uh, you, you could actually make a spiritual advancement and be connected to the Supreme Whole. And today we were just reading because we were taking our Bhaktivedanta exam. Um, and we're reading about how there's Shastra and there's Shastra. So Shastra, they, they both come from the same word. Shastra means 
the clear instructions given by the uh, scriptures that uh, one must follow in order to be happy and to be connected and to know how the world works, be connected to the supreme whole. And then the other word is shastra, which means a weapon, like a sword. So either you're ruled by shastra voluntarily, which is what the smartest of human beings do. They figure out what the shastra says, and they say, I'll, I'll preemptively <laughs> follow this before I'm, I'm induced to do so by the shastra, or the weapon which is apparent to anyone who's uh, meddled in the material nature in, in a, a haphazard way. Anyone? Any reaction? Nothing to report? <laughs> That's mercy, actually, to, that we get that instant feedback from material nature that that's not right. That's why we suffer. So first thing is, in having complete knowledge of the complete whole, a very practical matter, which is, which is appealing to human beings, because in the, in the end, we're very practical kind of uh, beings. We like things to go well. And in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that the kind of work that you do, or let me put it this way, the way the world works is, that as a human being, if you perform yajna, or that you do some work for the Supreme, you put your um, energy into it, you sacrifice your energy, your thought energy, and also you know, the energy you would normally do for any kind of hard labor, you put that in, or give the results of the work that, uh, when you put some hard work in somewhere, like punching numbers in a computer and making sure all the zeros and ones, zeros and ones, right? At line up in the proper order, or pulling somebody's tooth out or whatever you do. Then you give away the result of that. There are different ways to do yajna. And if you, if you do yajna, Krishna says, in such simple terms, yajnartak karmano natra lokoyam karma bandhana tadartam karma konteya mukta sangha Samatra, that sounds good. Mukta Sangha, I mean the word Mukta's in there, right? <laughs> That's music to our ears. How do, you, how do you do this kind of work? Well, uh, find out how to work in such a way that you please the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That shouldn't be so difficult either, because as it turns out, it's really easy to please Krishna, and he brings this up in the Bhagavad Gita. There's different ways in which to please him, and if and we already heard about Gajendra. He didn't do that much. But on the other side, if you try to please yourself, we'll leave that aside for a minute. Try to please your family or your boss. Uh, there's never a point at which they're completely satisfied and can completely reciprocate with you. Um, but Krishna can. So yajna is a good idea, and really that's how the world works. That's what human beings are built for. And when human beings, a human being, decides that I'm going to do some work for the Supreme, whether it's body, mind, or words, then just thinking about it makes you satisfied. That's how powerful yajna is. And Krishna is known as yajna. That's one of his names. And it means that you direct your work towards the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
That we can do. And if you organize uh, that, uh, your life around this principle, then uh, you know how the world works. It's that simple. And it's mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam as, a, as an analogy. It says that when you water the root of a tree, all the leaves and branches become automatically satisfied. So similarly, when you do some work for the Supreme, then naturally all the aspects of your life become naturally nourished and satisfied. That's the first aspect of having complete knowledge of the complete whole. And the second aspect is knowing which things to be attached to and which things to be unattached to. Was that English? Okay. Um, so this is a problem. Because by nature, we're, we're active and we're attached. Does that seem right? Yes. Yeah. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Nahi kashit shananumpi jatu tishchat yakarma krit karyate hyavasha karma sarva prakriti jargunai. He says, living entities, you're always working. You never stop. Even when you go to sleep, your body's, you know, parked and snoring away on idle, but you're you're going, through, you're inventing, you're inventing things, you know, like a monster came over the wall and then it turned into my wife, and then, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> the mind's constantly churning and and combinations, permutations, and it's very creative. <laughs> well, but it wasn't the other way around. It could have been. <laughs> But the, fa the fact is that living entities uh, are eternal. And even when they go into this state of susupti, which means uh, suspended animation without sleep, the potential is still there and it'll always be there eternally. And once, once they're put into a different circumstance, then again, all their desires spring forth. In fact, this is mentioned the way the, the universe is being churned constantly. This universe is being churned, by the way. Just keep that in mind. When you <laughs> and one of, my one of my friends always, one of his, he's always looking at the world and he notices things are changing, going sideways, which they always do, and he goes, the gut is on the move. And so the, it's always changing, moving, and as described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's a way in which when creation takes place, the living entities come out of a kind of hibernation they've been in, in the body of Mahavishnu. And then uh, Bhagavatam says, Asao gunamayer bhaver bhuta sukshmendriyatmadi sanmirmiteshu nirvishto bhunte bhuteshu tad gunan. And that means that uh, super soul, Paramatma, who's very friendly with the living entity, uh, reminds him, this is what you wanted before. This is the kind of work you were doing, and then revives that work and starts doing it again. So we don't stop working. And we also can't remain in a state of unattachment because the nature of, of the conscious living entity is to be attached. And therefore, according to our philosophy, if someone tries to detach him or herself from the world, so to speak, means all the things in the world, 
that uh, he or she won't be successful for long. The, the, the demigods praying to Lord Krishna within the womb. This is in Srimad Bhagavatam, 10th canto. Say that no matter what kind of relief you think you got from the material nature, by even by backing off from it completely and remaining completely still and somehow or other quelling all your desires, it, it won't last. Because the nature of the soul is that it wants enjoyment. And enjoyment comes from variety, not from... Um, a homogeneous experience of, of oneness. And therefore, even if you get some sort of situation in which you get some relief from the material nature, you'll have to go back. Just like if you go on strike from your work. You may be on strike, you may not be, you may not be working, but sooner or later you're going to have to go back to work somewhere. That's the nature of the living entity. So, uh, what to become attached to? This is the, the great uh, boon given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He teaches a very practical philosophy, and that is that learn how to be attached to Krishna. And this is natural for us. This is what's natural about bhakti, is we're already attached, so we understand what attachment means. We just don't understand really what unattachment means because it doesn't work. Does it? Not so much. So if you attach yourself to the beauty of Krishna, to, or just let's say, that may be even too high up, if you just get attached to the lifestyle of Krishna consciousness and the, and the association of, of devotees, or maybe prasadam might be a good place to start. <laughs> right? And so many people have said, you know, I really, I came to the classes for so long because Prasadam. And we could tell because you showed up 10 minutes before the class. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works. <laughs> if we do a, a study, we, we, could, we could see that there's a, a, a graph that shows how the room fills up as it gets closer to Prasadam. And this is the great benefit of bhakti that that it's a world full of, of spiritual sense gratification. And if you can learn to become attached to the right kind of sense gratification, which is very reasonable, then you've really got something. And, in the, and what goes along with that is the fact that it's so, I mean, imagine beneficial sense gratification. And we're so used to like, oh, you can't eat that because there's going to be a result. What's the result going to be? Oh, you get fat, or then like, or <laughs> or whatever it is. What? Oh, you fall sick. Yeah. Yeah, could be. So, yeah, feel free. <laughs> So my point before I take some reflections and go to the next section is, is that it's, it's actually reasonable to become attached to spiritual sense gratification. This is doable. These two things are, are, are completely doable. One is to 
perform yagya because it already makes sense. We already know in life that there are rewards from sacrificing, for instance, for other people. A mother sacrifices for the baby like more than anybody in the world, more than anybody alive. And uh, the reward is, is great because there's this sense of reciprocation from the child. You know, it's, it's not all about getting. It's really about giving and selfless service. And that's what yagya is. That makes sense. And you could sell that anywhere. In fact, there was, I read a, a survey of students uh, in Canada uh, that were, who were asked, and there was about 20,000 of them, uh, is it better to give or receive? And almost all of them said it's better to give than to receive. And so this, there's this natural sense we have that we grow by giving, and that's yagya. And then the, the other point is that we like sense gratification. We don't want to give it up, but just make sure that it's spiritual. And so how does that work? It means that first offer it to Krishna. Is that so hard? No. So whatever we take, uh, make as an offering to Krishna first. Then the whole process becomes spiritualized and the senses can be engaged, and that's why Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his song about prasadam, says, Dear Lord, you're so kind. You've given us this nice prasadam, spiritual food to help conquer the tongue, which is the most voracious and difficult to control, and yoga begins with the tongue, and therefore, uh, I mean, that's just the beginning. The Krishna conscious movement is full of, of sensual delights in the form of art, all the aesthetics of music and food and relationships and, um, and singing and literature. The very far from pulling back all the senses, we're extending them, but in the right place. And when you have that alignment, then uh, you'll f you actually feel satisfaction. So those are two ways in which, two categories uh, of activity where we can put our attention and get complete knowledge of the complete whole. That is knowing how the world works, and that is it works properly through yagya. And the second is knowing where to be attached, because we can't be unattached, but if we attach ourselves to Krishna, Krishna's devotees, and the sense gratification that comes along with Krishna consciousness, then the Shastra says, Sarvopati vanir muktam tapratvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhaktiruchite, which means that the senses will become purified as you're engaging them in the activities of Krishna consciousness. Then you'll be connected with the Supreme Whole and you'll get complete knowledge of the complete whole and then you'll be completely satisfied. And I have another section to talk about, but before I do, we'll take reflections. Anything that you heard so far that's stuck in your mind that you can take away in your pocket. Prabhu, please pass him the microphone. Krishna, Hare Bol. Hare Krishna. I was uh, noting earlier in your talk you were mentioning uh, how when someone is in difficulty they call out to God. And I was reminded of a story of George Harrison when he was on a flight from returning from India and the, and the aircraft entered so much turbulence for a time and everyone that was on the plane they pulled out their little picture of Vishnu or Ganesh or Krishna and they were chanting like anything and then the plane left the turbulence and was flying smoothly and then they put all those things away <laughs> and the drinks came back out again <laughs> 
Yeah, this is also, we heard it on our test today about smashana vairagya. This means the, the, the detachment uh, that you get in the crematorium. So it's actually really shocking if you go to a funeral pyre and you watch the bodies being burned. Because, uh, I mean, even bringing it up is a little shocking. But when you do that, then suddenly that you're propelled into another realm of realizing how temporary the world is, how the body really is temporary and stuff like that. But it's so easy to slide back into the, the natural course of maya after three days, I think is the prescribed amount of time. <laughs> and then you go back. Thank you, Prabhu, and welcome. Uh, other reflections? Yes, all the way to the back. Straight back to the picture. Just pass the mic back. It'll get there. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you for the wonderful lecture. So, you know, your comment about the jiva's sufferings is because of incomplete knowledge of the complete whole. I just kept on thinking about it and I was wondering, is the attribute of jiva not to know the complete whole? Because we cannot never be Paramatma, we cannot never be God. So we can know there is a complete whole. Is my understanding right? We can never know the complete whole. Well, one thing is that, as the Shastra says, Atashi Krishna Amadi Nabhaved Grahim Indriye Seva Mukhi Jivado Swayam Eva Spratyada That through our material senses, we can't understand God. However, if we serve God, beginning with the tongue, then he'll reveal himself to us. So, in the relationship we have with the Supreme Absolute, he's all-powerful and we're not. We're part and parcel of him. We have the same qualities as he does, only we're tiny. Therefore, we're subject to falling into illusion. He's not. Also, we can't force our way into the spiritual world, nor can we... Uh, force God to reveal himself to us, we can't intrude. However, if we act in such a way that we please him, he may be inclined to reveal himself to us. And he is. As he says in, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, it gives every indication that I want to show myself to you. It's you who initiated the divorce, he's saying. It's not me. So if you just turn your face around the other way, I'm right here for you all the time. This is mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhayam Dvitiya Binibesha Tasyad Ishad Apetasya Viparya Yosmiti, Tanmaya Tam Buddha Abhijat Tam Bhaktyaika Yesham Gurutevitahma says that the living entity becomes absorbed in something other than Krishna and therefore he suffers because he's not connected to Krishna. Actually there is nothing other than Krishna, but that's what's called Maya. And then he says, the solution is rather simple. You could miss it, it's so simple. He says, turn around. Turn your face back to Krishna. Just apply yourself a little bit, little jiva. Wake up. And just turn your attention back to Krishna. Bhaktyaika yesham. Show a little gratitude, a little bhakti, and give your attention to Krishna. He's right there all the time. In fact, he's the closest thing to us. 
He's always Tadejati Tanajati Tadure Tadvantike Tarantarasya Sarvasya Tarusarvasya Sibayata. Sri Shapana is saying, say, God's right next to you all the time. As if I'm I'm looking the other way. I didn't hear anything, did you? In fact, I remember in New York when I had this profound experience in Brooklyn about 10 years ago. We were going to this big Harinam right out of the temple. We were so charged up. We just you know, burst out of the temple, about 20 of us. I mean, the bliss was just dripping out of that kirtan. And I remember going down the street and some people were being, it was like a hurricane, what was that, Dorian or whatever, was coming by and they were just being swept away. And then I saw a few people, they were mining their, uh, their merchandise right outside their shop and we went by and they uh, didn't even look. And I was thinking, it takes a lot of determination not to look at a Hare Krishna. <laughs> And it similarly takes a lot of work to just stay in ignorance and go, ah, no, I didn't hear anything. But bhakti is so powerful if you just turn your attention back. Just become aware that there's God and just show a little gratitude, why don't you? And then Krishna is very willing to, willing to reveal himself. In fact, that's what he wants to do. He wants to show himself. And uh, if the Supreme Absolute wants to reveal himself to living entity, that's his prerogative. Nayamatma pravachanena labyuna medaya na bahuna shutena yami vaisha vinute te nalabjas tashaisha esha vinute tanum swam. The Shastra says God reveals himself to those whom he chooses to reveal himself to. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur used to say, Therefore, that don't try to work to see God, but try to work in such a way that he'll want to see you. Just uh, change the way you, you, the way you act towards other people. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he says, be kind friend to all living entities. And he says those who, who go out and they try to give Krishna consciousness to other people, these people are very dear to me. There are a few things that you can do. Really simple things. We do a lot of them here at ISV. You just join in the fun. And then Krishna goes, okay, I'll reveal myself. I like it. One more reflection. Oh, yes. All the way to the bookcase. Sheshri Leela. Thank you so much um, for a very inspiring class. I was meditating on the point you raised about how Gajendra, he knew that, um, you know, he didn't have to pray. The Lord already knew his situation. But he still, you know, he offered prayers. And um, I was thinking that uh, Srimad Bhagavatam actually, I was just reading uh, the song of Lord Shiva from the fourth canto and how. Uh, Lord Shiva is revealing himself to the Prachitas and his introduction to the, you know, to Bhakti for them is through his prayers to the Lord. So um, it's so wonderful that we can know that Krishna is there for us, uh, but at the same time prayers are something which we can offer as our gratitude and as our love. Yeah, it's a really good point. It, it, actually, although a materialistic person may say that's not very practical. 
it's actually really practical. Because it's something we can do as helpless living entities. Think about it. I mean, what could be more practical for a helpless person than just to pray? It's like, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to pray. That sounds a lot easier to me. <laughs> In fact, Nirkula, my wife said it to me the other day. I was, I, you know, I was working on three problems at the same time, and like, she could tell I was you know, a lot of things churning. I was going out the door, and, it, and uh, I forget what I said. Something like, you know, what should I do? And she goes, pray. I was like, <laughs> and like that, that actually works for me because I can't, I can't figure out even one thing at a time with the speak of three and how it's going to work and how people are going to change their mind and go the other way. It's like, what can I do about that? I can, you know, and so when you're involved in, in, in anything in this world, you'll notice that things go sideways. You can't do anything about it. So it's very natural and very practical just to start praying and say, Krishna, I don't know what to do. But, you know, you do. So I'm just going to let you do it. In fact, I read the other day in the Bhagavatam, Prabhupada said that the best way to fulfill all your desires is to surrender to Krishna. That was very reassuring because if, if you want to fulfill all your desires and you think, okay, well, who wouldn't want to do that? Then just surrender to Krishna. Now here's a couple more points and then we'll have a kirtan. And there's one from online first. Microphone, good. So this is from Sri Avirhotra Prabhu from oh. Texas. Hare Krishna Sri Avirhotra Prabhu. Um, thank you, Maharaj. Um, I'm reminded of the story of Radha Rani and her inattention to the offenses in order to please Krishna for one second. She was not worried about her destiny from offenses, only in pleasing Krishna. As you stated, the feeling of satisfaction in serving and pleasing the Lord is the most real and pure feeling that we can have. Even in doing what little or insignificant thing that we can is an experience that we cannot find anywhere else. Thank you, Sri Avrahotra Prabhu. You gave us the seeds of a thesis paper. But uh, there's a, a very nice point about the Vrindavan mood. There's a story about how Narada Muni um, came to Krishna and who said, I have a headache and I have only one way that I can cure the headache and that's I need the dust from the lotus feet of my devotees. So Narada went around and he started asking devotees that I need some dust from your feet. And devotees won't do that anyway, but they said, what, what for anyway? It's for Krishna. And they said, well, definitely not. And no one would give. So then Narada went back to Krishna and said, no one's giving. He said, go ask the gopis. And when he went to the gopis in Vrindavan, they immediately, when they heard what the situation was, it will cure Krishna's headache, they gave the dust. And he said, but everyone else said, no, because they said, this is a big offense, we'll all go to hell. And they said, well, we don't care. We care that Krishna's headache will go away. Who cares if we go to hell? And this is something that uh, our acharyas have, a story, have brought up previously to indicate the mood. Of course, not that we're eager to go to hell or make offenses, but the spirit of the story is that there's a way in which the, the devotees are mainly concerned with how to please Krishna. And when that's there, that's really the, the mood of Vrindavan. 
A couple more practical points after Bali Maharaj, Bali Prabhu. <laughs> Someday, Bali Maharaj will. <laughs> it's a Freudian slip. Okay, go ahead. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. So, I would just like to know, give some two tips or some advice in Karthik because you'll be performing your devotional service in Vrindavan Dham for us here to meditate on these things. Yes, one year I was asked when I got to Vrindavan to give a, a talk to um, usher in the Kartik season in Vrindavan. I did a lot of research, well, a little, uh, on the Kartik Mahatmya. And lo and behold, the most important thing that you can do for Kartik is to offer a lamp once a day. It's the most pleasing thing for Krishna. It's there thousands of times in the Kartik Mahatmya, offer a lamp. In fact, there's a story there about a little mouse who lived on the altar. You see this sometimes. You go to temples and you go, hey, how'd you get on there? And so this little mouse used to live by chewing on the uh, half-used uh, ghee wicks because, you know, some nice ghee in there. And they half burn, and then they're, somehow they're left behind, and, the, you know, the mouse is getting a little fat. So one day, he, the pujari had put the ghee wick down and after offering, so the mouse went over, and there was still a little spark there, so the mouse started chewing on it, and it got stuck on his tooth. And then the, the lamp came alive again, and the flame was there. So the mouse, you know, his little whiskers were getting burned. So he, he was on the altar and he started jumping up and down because of the heat, trying to get the thing off him. And Lord Narayan was standing there, he's watching this mouse, and it's during Kartik, and, and he's going, oh, he's offering me a lamp. <laughs> so then, in his next life, he became a, a very exalted Brahmana Vaishnav, and in the life after that, he went back to Godhead. So there are many instances like this in the Kartik Mahatmya. And what's very charming about this is, I mean, there's so many sacrifices that you can do. You can do Chaturmasya, which is a really onerous kind of sacrifice that all brahmacharis at some time like to try. Uh, one of the sacrifices is that you eat once a day, but that's not it. You eat only what's called Havishan. It's, it's mung and rice cooked together with no spices, no salt. That's not it either. You put it on the floor, you get on your knees, you put your hands behind your back and you eat off the floor this Havishan and you can only eat as much once a day as, as you can do while your head's down in the mush. There are other things too, but that's as if that wasn't enough. I mean, there's all kinds of things. These are mostly karmakanda type of things. They're very difficult types of things to do. But it's so charming that in bhakti, if you offer a lamp to Krishna, Krishna goes, this person offered me a lamp during Kartik. I'm satisfied. And the second thing that you can do that is the most satisfying to Krishna and, to your, and will be to yourself is to sing the Dhammadar Ashtakam. Because there's unparalleled sweetness in the childhood pastimes of Krishna. You don't get that in Vaikuntha. It's all about worshipping Narayan and on reverence. But when Krishna becomes a baby and he's crawling around in the mud and the cow dung and everything like that and everyone's fussing over him and you know he's turned into a little rascal doing all kinds of you know mischief. Everyone's hearts just melt in Vrindavan. 
And this song, the Dhammada Ashtakam, which is from the Padma Purana, this is the tradition to sing this and enter into the mood of that song. So the one thing you can do is offer a lamp. Second thing you can do is study this song and enter into the mood of the song of the Dhammadar Ashtakam. At least once a day do these things. And you think, I can, lamp, that's easy. Well, you know, doing anything once a day for, for 30 days is not easy because you have to do it every day. But if you do it, these two things, you'll be uh, totally happy and satisfied it's because Krishna is satisfied by these things according to the Shastra. Thanks, Bali Prabhu. Thank you. Hi, Krishna. Now, a couple last points. One is, why don't people get what they want? I found that to be a, a compelling question. Would you like to hear the answer, according to me? Okay, um, actually, the reason is that they don't know what they want. That's a problem. That's the first problem. They don't know what they want. And if you ask the man, the proverbial man on the street, what do you want, uh, they really can't tell you. In fact, I've, I've done guided meditations in various places with very highly educated people who are working at a high level in a pay, pay grade and everything like that. And we do this little exercise where I, through meditation, take everyone to sit underneath a desire tree and explain what a desire tree is. It'll fulfill any desire you have. And then, see, they all have their eyes closed, and then I say, okay, now what do you want? And I feel a shockwave going through the room. Actually, people tense up, and then later on when we open our eyes and I say, what happened? They go, I don't know what I want. And there were so many things, I couldn't f figure it out. So one of the problems is nobody knows what they want. Isn't that weird? Everyone's driving on the one-on-one freeway, but if you flagged them down and said, where, do you, where are you going, what do you want? They wouldn't be able to tell you. I thought of that in high school. I used to, the, my last day in high school, last day of my junior year, I saw everybody taking off for the summer. And I already started reading Bhagavad Gita. So I knew there was nowhere to go. And they were all, Yahoo, let's go. And I was watching them take off. And I said, you don't even know where you're going. You have no idea. You're, you're moving through a, a universe that has karma. And, and you have no idea what's happening. So know what you want. This is very important. If you, this is such a, a, a huge milestone in the life of any person. If you can decide actually what you really want, this is the key to everything, and including in bhakti. It says, uh, uh, Rupa Goswami writes, um, Bhakti ras bhavito mati, kriyatam yadi kritopi labyate, tatalolyam apimulyam ekalam, janmakoti, sukritinan labyate. So there's only one price to pay for getting uh, perfection in bhakti. And that's your desire to have it. What a revelation. If you desire it, you'll get it. You have to really want it. Lalyam, like more than anything else. So know what you want. And rule out everything else that's inferior. Don't ask, don't ask for stuff that becomes what's called bhadam, a burden on your head. Like Hiranyakashipu, we just learned today in our Bhaktivedanta exam. Hiranyakashipu asked for all kinds of stuff that he couldn't maintain. He couldn't maintain it. He got the whole universe. He controlled everything, but he couldn't keep it. We're, we're humans. We're living entities. We can't keep all this stuff. So ask for the right thing and know what you want. And the second thing, reason is, for those who do know what they want, what they want may not be good for them. So, again, a problem. 
those are my last points. And now we have a few minutes to uh, perform Harinam Kirtan. And a special thanks to everybody here at ISV who is working hard to maintain this center. I'm leaving for Vrindavan tomorrow morning and will be away for approximately five weeks, if I'm not incorrect. 42 days, thank you very much. <laughs> and, and so um, I'm really going to be missing you all really intensely. I'm always torn whenever I, I have to go. There's so many things to do here. Uh, I mean, there are unlimited projects to expand and uh, meetings to hold that where we can expand things. But uh, it's really uh, helpful to me to take one month just to read Bhagavatam exclusively all day, every day, as long as possible, so that I can hopefully add a few points to the team when I come back. That's my intention. So please don't mind my um, taking off. And uh, please uh, cooperate, take care of each other. Every devotee that, 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 that's here is the most rare soul in the world. Anybody who walks in the door, in fact, any living entity, the, uh, you should treat them with kind respect and see they're part and parcel of Krishna. And please inaugurate a huge end-of-year marathon. Because Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will fulfill your desire. Don't be afraid to think really, really big. Okay? Okay, Hare Krishna. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.